following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Uh, like many of you this past week, um, you know, my heart has been pretty heavy uh, seeing what's happening in Afghanistan and um, seeing so many lives lost uh, in recent days with the suicide bomb attacks as thousands try to escape the country at the airport in Kabul. And it's just so heartbreaking. Um, the deaths of, I think, 13 servicemen, as well as hundreds of Innocent civilians has been reported, but what I think is less reported is, is the persecution and, and martyrdom that is actually happening in, in the Afghan church as well. And, you know, uh, Afghanistan is 99.8% Muslim and very hostile towards Christianity. Uh, Afghan Christians cannot gather for worship in public. Evangelism is forbidden. Beatings, torture, kidnappings are pretty commonplace. And Oftentimes, converts from Islam are often killed by family members before they're even tried in court. And uh, two weeks ago, before everything kind of blew up in in Kabul, uh, I posted an article entitled, Afghan Pastors Ask for Prayer, and it was on our church Facebook page. I don't know if any of you have seen it. But it was written by uh, a pastor in the Middle East named Josh Manley, and I want to read just a few excerpts for you. He writes this, As Taliban forces have swallowed up Afghanistan, and even now, the capital city of Kabul, pastors in the country have been emailing and messaging me over the last few days, even hours, anxious for prayer. Pastoring just a short flight away in the United Arab Emirates, I've had the opportunity to build partnerships with these men over the last decade. One house church leader sent me a picture of the small room that he was hiding in with his family, and he wrote, This is where I'm living. We are hidden right now in different areas. Another pastor wrote, We can't go out like normal. It's dangerous. We moved to one of my friend's houses, but it's not safe at all. I asked one brother if he was presently in physical danger, and he replied, Not only me, but my family too, because of me. Every church leader who has emailed or texted me has asked that we would pray for the Lord to strengthen them in their faith, that they would stay strong in the Lord, who is the sovereign king. And as one put it, pray for me to be strong in my faith. It is really hard to stay here, said another. One brother described these days as dark and said that they feel like a storm. And then he asked that we pray for revival. You know, I I think these these prayer requests from these Afghan uh, pastors and church leaders demonstrate not just their faith, but their greatest hopes. And even in the midst of this persecution, there are reports of Afghan Christians that are still gathering to worship together, to encourage one another, to pray that God will move among their people, even in the midst of these dark times. On August 13th, just a couple weeks ago, Mindy Bells of World Magazine reported this. She said, a person who works with house church networks in Afghanistan reports its leaders received letters last night from the Taliban, warning them that they know where they are, who they are, and what they are doing. The church leaders said they are not going anywhere. So it begins. And uh, I've been so challenged by the faith of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. And it has been a wake-up call, I think, for me personally of how comfortable I am in my own faith in America. And uh, I ran across this quote a couple weeks ago, and it has kind of stuck with me. 
Hannah Askell wrote this on her Twitter account, there will be Afghan Christians who will die this week because they have chosen faithfulness over safety. There will be American Christians who will skip church this week because they have chosen safety over faithfulness. Now, those are hard words, and uh, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone about not coming to church in person. And I know many of you, especially those who have young children, have really struggled with that decision. It's not an easy decision, and I, I really think you have to follow your own convictions and your own, uh, you know, as you pray about it. And honestly, I don't know what I would do if I had young children right now. But I share, I share this with you because it's such a stark reminder, I think, of the gap and the cost of discipleship between two nations, even today. And it has made me wonder not just about how, you know, we are so concerned about our safety and the safety of our children, and how, but also how COVID has created this inertia, especially in America, where people who, you know, have gone to church faithfully their whole lives have really struggled to enter back into community. And even as Pastor Steve just shared, enter back into not just the community life of the church, but even serving and engaging in that, in that community of faith. And it you know, has made me wonder in, in these days, just what does it mean to follow Jesus in America? How much are we willing to sacrifice for eternal things versus earthly things? And what can we learn about the faith of of these Afghan Christians and how to persevere in the midst of hardship. You know, if there's any book that speaks to considering the cost and persevering in faith in the New Testament, I think it's the book of Hebrews. And as its name suggests, this book was written to Jews and, to be more precise, uh, Christian Jews. And like so many others in the first century, the audience of uh, this epistle endured intense persecution because of their decision to follow Jesus. And they were cut off from their families and their friends, from the only life they ever knew, their very identity as Jews, just like these Afghan Muslims who converted to Christianity. And things were very difficult for them. And you can see why there's this temptation to fall back to their old way of life and their old beliefs. It's to these people that the writer of Hebrews opens with these very powerful words in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets At many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he has made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, I think these opening verses, they clue us in into what this book will largely be about. And at its very center is the person of Jesus Christ. And what unfolds is, I think, arguably the most compelling argument ever made for Jews, that Jesus is not only the Messiah, but the fulfillment of everything that the Jews held dear. You know, chapters 1 and 2 shows us that Jesus is superior to the angels and the Torah. Jesus is the ultimate messenger who supersedes all other uh, messengers who were angels, who, who were previous messengers of God's good news. That a king has come to rule and reign and bring his rest and his restoration upon his beloved creation. And Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 
reveals how Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses in the promised land, who, like the Israelites of old, has called us out of our wilderness wandering and leads us into the ultimate promised land in which he invites us to bring his shalom, his restoration, to what will one day be ultimately his new creation. And then Hebrews chapters 5 through 7 show us how Jesus is not just a mediator for the people, but he is the great high priest of a higher order, the ultimate mediator through whom we can be reconciled to God. And then chapters 8 through 10 reveals to us how Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Levitical system and the covenants of God. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice through whom we no longer have to offer up our own sacrifices when we receive God's provision by faith. And I think it's kind of interesting that when the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is seeking to inspire his readers to, you know, persevere, to press on in the faith, he doesn't formulate like his best college or best locker room speech, right? He doesn't tell them to just fight harder or crash through those quitting points or dig deeper. You know, I know when I was in college, I heard a lot of messages like that. Just don't give up. Fight for Jesus. Push through for his glory. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't do that, does he? He he doesn't say, do it for Jesus. Instead, as we just unpacked, he spends ten glorious chapters just saying, look at who Jesus is. Look at him. He is greater than the messengers of old. He is the fulfillment of the Torah. He is the one who frees us from the bondage of sin and leads us into the promised land. He is the ultimate mediator, the Lamb of God, who restores us into fellowship with our Creator. And why does he do this? Why does he spend so much time and energy just reviewing the history and the traditions of the Jews? I believe he's inspiring them to press on, to be faithful by reminding them of the incredible faithfulness of God who has fulfilled every promise to his people through his son. And he's saying, you can be faithful to God because look at how gloriously faithful God has been to us in Christ. And here's the point. God calls for our faithfulness to him. God's call for our faithfulness to him begins with the revelation of his faithfulness to us through his son. It begins there. And it's at this very place when we get to the end of Hebrews chapter 10 that this letter actually makes an important pivot with a key word. It says, therefore. Now, one of the first things you're going to learn if if you're a student of the Bible is anytime you see that word, therefore, uh, you have to figure out what it is there for. Okay, that's something you learn uh, as a student. And if you want to be a serious student of Scripture, that's that's a big word. And it's a big word because... What it's basically saying is, as a result of everything I've said up to this point, or in light of this, or in response to all of this, all of the first ten chapters of Hebrews, the writer now pivots and he says, therefore, in response to this, let's read verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see it? With this revelation of God's faithfulness in Jesus, the writer now tells us how we to respond. We can now draw near to God with confidence. And we can walk in what verse 20 describes as this new and this living way that he has opened up for us. And I want you to notice in verse 23, we're called to hold fast to the hope that we profess. How do we hold fast to that? And here comes the practical application. It says, by not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. By not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. You know, I don't think there can be a more clear command that is designed to keep us in the faith and to help us persevere, even when times get tough, than to draw near to God and to come together as God's people, to encourage one another, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because when God calls us to be faithful to him, he calls us to commit ourselves to a community of faith. The two go hand in hand. Why? Because in a community of faith is where we experience the love of Christ. And I know you guys all have your own stories too where you have experienced the love of Christ because you have committed yourself into a community of faith. You know, someone has dropped off a meal for you. Someone has stopped you and prayed with you. Someone has called you in, in a very dark moment. Someone has written a letter for you. Someone has delivered uh, finances to help you through a difficult time. All of these ways are ways in which we experience the love of Christ through the body of Christ. And that, I believe, is, is what God intended. And secondly, I believe that we're called into a faith community because it is there that we express the love of Christ, not just experience the love of Christ. As verse 24 says, when we come together, we're to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It is in this place that we do good works out of a heart of love. And this is, this is the heart of discipleship. You know, as Pastor Steve shared last week, in his sermon, I think these words echo actually the Great Commission. Paul's version, maybe, of, of that. When Jesus says to make disciples of all nations, what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It is in community where we exercise the love of Jesus and fulfill the one another commands all throughout Scripture. This is the central place in which we are called to live out our faith. And express the love of Jesus. Now, I just want to close with um, uh, kind of my own personal testimony as well as my wife Kim's in terms of our um, experience here in community group. For the last four years or so, I've, I've been charged with overseeing the community groups at our church. And we recently transitioned that over to Pastor Lester. And I know he's going to do a great job with it. And um, it's been one of the most challenging but also the, one of the most rewarding parts of, of my job here as a pastor for the last six years. And, um, you know, 
I've had, I've met regularly with the CG leaders, and I feel like I actually, you know, I ask about all of you <laughs> when I meet with CG leaders, the community group leaders, at least the ones that are, uh, those of you who are in, in small groups. And it's just a great way, it's helped me as a pastor to even get a, a sense of, of how you all are doing without even really necessarily talking to you face to face. And, um, and I see their hearts for you and their desire to love and care for you. And, um, you know, I think the best part of, of that role is just I get a front row seat to all the testimonies, just big and small, that flow out of uh, the people here at ICC. And um, in that time, I've seen members who've committed themselves to the community life of our church, and I've also seen uh, those who have chosen to sit on the sidelines, you know, never join a small group, maybe participate only periodically when, when your schedule allows. And, and I'll be honest, you know, most, in that, most of those people who fall in that category, they, they don't seem to last long in our church. You know, people come to our church for different reasons. I think one of the biggest reasons is we have, you know, very strong teaching and pulpit ministry with Pastor Steve here. Um, maybe some come for our youth group, especially in recent months, or our children's ministry. But I think, honestly, when I look at the people who've not only come, but the people who've left, what I realize as um, a pastor is that people come for different reasons, but people stay because of the community, Right? And people leave if they don't find community. And, you know, community is not an easy thing. And that's why I've entitled today's sermon, Contending for Community. You have to fight for it. You have to come out of your comfort zone and you have to seek it. And finding true community is hard, but staying in community is even harder. You have to be intentional about it. It doesn't happen by accident. It requires you know, our time, emotional effort, it requires energy. Um, you know, when, when Kim and I came, first came to ICC, it was um, in February of 2014. It was about seven and a half years ago. And when we first came to the church, neither of us had any intentions of joining the staff here. I don't know how that happened, but within like a year and a half, we were both on staff here. And to be honest, uh, Kim said it's okay to share this, but she really did not want to come to ICC. <laughs> this is your Sunday school director, by the way, who's loving on your children. She really didn't want to be here. She didn't like your kids. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just kidding. Um, but she really struggled with coming back to what is predominantly an, an Asian, you know, American church. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've had some difficult experiences with, um, with an Asian American church in our past. And we spent, uh, you know, about a half dozen years outside of that context prior to coming here. And so it was merely me who kind of dragged Kim to ICC. And she really resisted, you know, getting involved in the church and really being a part of a small group. And, you know, at that time, she was homeschooling all three of our children. And that took a lot of time and energy. And she was part of a co-op. And there were a lot of just wonderful godly men, women that were there who were part of that co-op that she had really grown, you know, grown up with and become very fond of and who had kind of entered into just really good discipling type relationships with and you know for her that was her community and so she didn't really feel even the need to be a part of the community life at ICC and at that time we were actually living out in Huntley which is like about an hour away from here and the nearest small group was like 40 minutes away and so it wasn't even really easy for us to get plugged in but you know I, I joined a small group right away um, 
And like I said, Kim resisted it. And then after about a year or so, I finally convinced her to go. And it was tough, you know. <laughs> it wasn't like right away she enjoyed it and she wanted to do it. I kind of forced her to do it. And um, we joined a small group, and we, and we grew to love it. There's a picture of our small group. It's, it's not the greatest resolution, but uh, we did like a weekend getaway up in Wisconsin. And you may recognize some of the faces there. And uh, that was like six years ago, and those, those kids have grown up. Some of them are in our youth group now. And, um, you know, we grew to love that small group and love the people in there. And, you know, uh, after a few years there, a couple years there, uh, the leader of that small group was actually served as the elder of our, one of the elders of our church, ended up leaving the church and leaving our small group, obviously. And I'll be honest, that really hurt. I think it really hurt a lot of us, even within the small group. And, um, you know, it, it, there's an emotional cost, I think, that has come with that. And, and um, you know, I think when I, even when I think about reentering into small group, it wasn't, it wasn't easy coming out of that experience. You know, I, I think you feel like you commit yourself to this group of people. You open up and, and then suddenly, you know, these people who you feel like you're going to do life with for the rest of your life and you're going to raise your children together, they're just poof gone. And, um, you know, I, I recognize that as a, as a real risk of entering into community. I know some of you have felt, you know, what I'm expressing here today. Um, but around, the, you know, that time, um, I left the corporate world and stepped into a pastoral role here, and uh, we moved to Glenview, which is not too far from here. And uh, this was an intentional choice. You know, we wanted to be closer to the church, and we realized, you know, if we really wanted to be committed to this church, we had to be closer. And we, found a, we formed a new small group in Glenview um, that I actually led, and it was a small group of five families, and we grew very close, very quickly. And to be honest, it was a real lifeline for us, and it was actually a real lifeline for my wife, Kim. You know, at that time, like I said, she was homeschooling, but when we moved to Glenview, all of our kids transitioned to a public school. And she kind of gave up, you know, what she had been doing for about six, seven years up to that point, just constantly spending time with our children and pouring into them. And all of a sudden, you know, it was a very difficult transition for her. And uh, I can say, looking back at that, that that group was, you know, a real ministry for her and a real um, lifeline for her during a very difficult time for, you know, in her own life and even for our children. And... um, even then, you know, that group, uh, we uh, transitioned leadership to, uh, to Intec and Petra, who, who led that group for a while, and that group grew pretty quickly. And within a year, we, we actually uh, broke off and formed a, a, another group, largely out of um, some people in that group. And, um, and, then, and then COVID hit, you know, and uh, if you can flash up that picture, and you guys know how hard it is to be in community during COVID. It's like, I, I, let me just tell you, I hate Zoom. Like, I, when I get off a Zoom call, I feel like it's robbed a portion of my soul. Like, I'm so exhausted and tired. I, there, I really, I'll be honest, I didn't look forward to going on Zoom calls and being a small group, but I was committed to being community. And, and everyone else in this, in this picture was too. This is our Christmas, our last Christmas gathering on Zoom. And, um, you know, even within the last couple of years, our group's completely turned over. I mean, you, half of our group right now um, is is new to the church, has been at our church for less than a year. 
And even looking at you out at you right now, I think you guys, whether you've been at our church for many years or not very long at all, if you've been at our church for many years, I've, I've heard this very, very um, much in the, in the recent uh, months, but you feel like you kind of walked into a new church, right? Like the pastors, up, everyone up here is the same, but like everyone down there, it looks completely different. And I think what we found is, you know, over the last year, year and a half, um, we've had a lot of newcomers come to our church. And um, a lot of uh, the newcomers have been very faithful in attending in person. And as, um, you know, some of the older members of our church have come back in person, you're realizing, like, I, I don't even recognize. And the masks don't help either, right? But I don't recognize a lot of these people. And so there's this really strange dynamic that's been happening in our church where it feels like a new church almost for everyone. And I, and I recognize that there's an awkwardness to that, you know. And there's, you know, joining into community and trying to do life and, and be intimate and opening up about your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses, it's not easy, you know, in that context with newcomers. And yet, I can just share, you know, um, in the last 12 months, we've had such an incredible, uh, just small group experience, and even though we've had a lot of newcomers. And I think uh, everyone that's been a part of the group can, can attest to that. You know, we've uh, just shared about everything, you know, about our struggles at home, with our kids, in our marriages, with our jobs. Um, and our small group in particular has a lot of youth, youth group age children. So we come together, and we don't always just talk about the Bible. We complain about our teenage kids. And there's a lot of comfort in knowing, like, okay, maybe my kid isn't all that strange, you know, because everyone else seems to be dealing with the same thing. And, um, and so there's been comfort in that. And, but more importantly, you know, and I, this hit me a few weeks ago because we were sharing prayer requests in the small group. And one person said, you know, actually, I want to share praise. And um, she said, you know, I, um, my child's been attending youth group. She didn't really want to come at all for many months. Didn't want to be a part of it. And then suddenly it's just like a, something switched completely. And now she loves going to youth group. And she can't wait to go. And she's just, it's, it's like night and day. And then after she shared, you know, another, fam- another person shared about the same thing that was happening to her children. And what we realized is it was actually happening to almost all, our, all the youth-age children in our small group. And we all were just, just affirming, like, God is really at work here. And, and it just hit me. Like, we've been praying about this for months, for like a year, for all our kids. It's like the top prayer request that we shared every week. And suddenly we're just seeing that God is at work, you know, that God is doing something. And he's answering prayer. And it's encouraged all of our faiths. And I share that with you because I, I hope that it will encourage your faith. Um, that's what it means, I think, to do life together. And so, you know, we come up with these programs. We try to make it work as much as we can for you. We even try to come up with really attractive names like life groups. But everyone calls it either life groups or community groups, apparently. So it's really not even that original. But we want you to step into that. We want you to experience that, not just because we want, you know, your participation or we need the numbers, but I, as a pastor and as someone who's experienced the goodness of God in these places, I want you to experience that. Please don't rob yourself of that because you didn't want to take those risks. And it's not going to be easy, and there is going to be conflict. And I tell this community group leaders all the time, you know what? If you don't have conflict, you're probably not getting close enough. Because when I look at the New Testament, the epistles are are filled with conflicts, interpersonal conflicts. And so to me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
It just means we're trying to grow together, and we need to see those things. And some things we can't see until we're in conflict with one another. And if we agreed on everything all the time, you know, how are we going to ever learn and grow? And so uh, I want to close with just a few verses. Again, later in Hebrews 10, the writer closes with this, and he says, Remember those earlier days, after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You know, when I see these verses, I think it's such a good reminder actually for our Afghan brothers and sisters in Christ today who are at risk of losing everything. But I also want you to notice just the language of community here, which allows them to persevere in their faith in the midst of struggle. You stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. Who are we standing side by side with today? Who are we suffering alongside with? Here in America, it's not a prison, but who are we doing life with in such a way that even in their greatest battles, you are with them, enduring alongside them because you know and you trust that something eternal, far greater awaits you. Let's take a moment. Let's just bow our heads. I want to invite the worship team. We're just going to close with one last song. I know... The service has gone a little longer than usual. But I want to give you just a minute. We're not going to take communion today, but just give you a minute to reflect upon what it is that Christ has called us to when we draw near to God. The last thing that we should be doing is pulling ourselves away from the community of faith in which God has given us as a gift. But we are to draw near to one another as we draw near to God, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to meet together regularly, to share the burdens of this, of this life. If you would, just take a moment. And let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. What is it that he is asking of you in this moment? How have you missed out because you have not committed yourself into the community life in this church? Lord, we thank you that in your wisdom, you have not only called us to yourself, you have called us to one another. And in the same way that you have called us to love you and to love one another, you have called us to live together, to do life together, to share one another's burdens, 
to lift up those who have fallen, to sit beside those who are grieving, to stand with those who are imprisoned, to grieve with those who have experienced great loss. And we know that it is in that place, Lord, that often, so often we sense your nearness, your love, your presence through your people, through your children, through those who faithfully bear your image. And so we ask, God, that you would grant us the faith to enter into a community of faith in which our faith can flourish and grow as you desire it. And then even in the midst of our struggles, that we would turn our eyes towards you, that we would see just how faithful you've been and how your son has embodied every promise fulfilled. And we can trust you. And so help us to lay aside our own wisdom, our own understanding, to yield, Lord, to your wisdom, to your ways, so that we may experience the fullness of joy and walking in your spirit and in your truth. We thank you and we praise you. It's in your son's name we pray.